Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Hey, I'm here with Nate Summers. I'm really glad to have you on the show. I think I met you when I visited Wilderness Awareness School back in like the very early 2000s. I'm really excited to just hear what you've been doing and share what you're into and everything with the podcast community here. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Ricardo. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and it is wonderful to just take a moment here and reflect upon that our paths crossed 20 plus years ago here somewhere in the Snoqualmie Valley where I live maybe at a Mexican restaurant. We've been joking about maybe at a Mexican restaurant where there's a lot of people. And that Mexican restaurant, I think, is still there. It's like Stapa, you know, and all that. I'm here in the Snoqualmie Valley. We've got like a little misty, cloudy action going on after a very, very dry summer. Borderline wildfires breaking out all over the place summer. You know, it's been, we've been on the edge of wildfire for a long time. It's very odd for this moist, damp climate, which I've gotten used to. But the last couple of days, we've gotten some rain coming in. And it's just really, really lovely to have some moist clouds. I think it's going to get a little warm again this weekend. But then I think some rain's in the forecast. And yeah, it's fun to be here, fun to uh, reconnect and yeah, to connect with your audience as well. Yeah, those of you who don't know me, my name's Nate Summers. And I've been Oh, lucky enough to be in this field, whatever we want to call it. We call it ancestral skills. We'll call it rewilding, call it survival skills, deep nature connection, That all those you know, right. terms kind of mixed together. I've been doing that for over 20 years professionally, but, you know, going back to when I was a teenager, you know, over 30 years ago. And yeah. So take me back to, you know, how you kind of got excited about that. Did you grow up in the Pacific Northwest? Is that where you're from originally? No, no. You know, I, I got to come here first when I was like 19 in college and everything and, and kind of fell in love with the place. But, you know, I got into this this path, whatever we want to call it, you know, back when I was a teenager, when I was 13, I had this really, really cool high school teacher uh, named Mr. Butler, Mr. B. We all called him Mr. B. And he was a kind of history teacher, like the very first day of school or one of the first days of school we had with him. He was teaching us a prehistory class. He came into the classroom and he had uh, some chert with him and he did flint napping live in front of the school. Nice. And, you know, that definitely piqued my interest. He was definitely my favorite teacher. And then the following summer, uh, yeah, when I was 13, he took a, a group of us down to what was supposed to be an archaeology camp. You know, like it was like, oh, this is an archaeology camp. But really, it was some people call like experimental archaeology, like that sort of live-in style archaeology. And I got to go to a place called the Ancient Lifeways Institute, uh, which was run by a friend of my teachers, a friend of Mr. B's named John White, who I didn't, you know, know at first, but later found out, you know, his his other name was Five Bears, and he was a Cherokee and Shawnee man, also Scots descent, so mixed descent, who was running like basically like a stone age immersion camp right and so we were like you know just like living in long houses you know we were wandering riverbeds gathering shirt and flint napping on the the banks of the riverbed digging up mud or digging up clay from places and building like a you know ancient style kiln and firing pottery and then and wadi his two mm-hmm. sons who were, you know, kind of, I think they were in high school at that time. And then, you know, eventually Joan was going to college. His two sons ran this camp every summer. And oh, wow. um, I went back each summer and yeah, it was just a, a really life-changing experience. That that, that kind of thing where I got that first sense of timelessness, that first connection back to ancient things. And, you know, one of the things I love about that, that experience, that place is, is the name, the Ancient Lifeways Institute. And, you know, John, um, Mr. White, who ran the camp, he was very, very specific about like, yes, he told certain Cherokee stories and certain Shawnee stories and other stories he had heard. And yes, we did learn some songs, but he really emphasized, he's like, hey, your ancestors did these things, you know, your ancestors knew how to make moccasins, your ancestors knew how to make a fire with sticks. This is a human thing. And so, yeah, that's really how I got my start, you know, with this, all of this, you know, um, that was the place. And those were the people that was the situation, you know? Yeah. And where did you say that was? 
That was in Southern Illinois. Yeah, I grew up in Illinois. I grew up in the Midwest and, and it was about three hours south from where I grew up. And it was in this really cute little river valley, right, where Illinois and the Mississippi River come together. There's sort of this magical forested hills in there that the glaciers actually went around. So there was actually some topography in there. And, you know, going up in those hills with Jonah and Wadi, you know, was my first introduction to like, being off trail and you know listening to birds and being still in the forest and all those kinds of things so yeah oh that that sounds like uh what a awesome experience and also just a very formative right because it's just like you're like you said you're off trail you're following these people they're showing you things and what a cool experience like that I know there's a lot of people who are listening to the show who I think can really relate to, you know, some of these first moments like that. Yeah, that's really great. I can just picture, you know, like sycamore trees and cottonwoods and things like that. And Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, you know, I remember like, you know, uh, Mr. White John telling stories, like he was showing us basswood, for instance, right? And we were learning to make cordage. And he told this crazy story about how strong basswood cordage is, you know? about how he literally one time found somebody by the side of the road and their car had gone off the road and they they gathered basswood cordage off of some trees nearby and made a rope and he pulled the dude out of the the ditch with the basswood cordage that they made you know so it's kind of that application of that uh you know ancestral skills in a modern context you know right and um yeah, that place was really magical. And I went back each summer and and I think it did kind of serve as a rite of passage. You know, it wasn't like distinctly a rite of passage, like the way some people kind of structure it these days. But, you know, I went there first when I was 13 and went all the way through the time I was 18. And then when I went to college, I ended up taking some friends down there one time and, you know, bringing a group down there to to meet everybody and stuff. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty special, pretty magical. And I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, back then, you know, this is 30 plus years ago. You know, I guess I went there when I was 13. So 36 years ago, that was one of the first schools like that in existence in this country, you know? Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Especially in the Midwest, because the Midwest is an area that you don't necessarily think of as having, you know, having a lot of wilderness programs. I mean, part of it is that like the Internet was kind of new you know, some things, a lot of people weren't online. I mean, like when I, when I was going to like Tom Brown's in late 1984, you know, the internet was not there. It was really just, if you happen to see a flyer at a store or, you know, read a book or something and it was really tough to find people. So people were out there. You just didn't know how to get a hold of them or hear about them or anything. So now it's very different. You know, I bet you're right. It is. He probably is one of the first to do some of that and have experiences like that. Yeah. And yeah. And there were things about it that like, even today, I kind of look back and I'm just feeling, you know, really touched and honored that I got to be a part of it. Like, um, and, and I don't know, there's probably maybe some of your audience, maybe some of the people out there, uh, like they're there, they've encountered people like this, but in their, in their family, for instance, like, you know, and John and Joan and Whitey, like Flint Namping had never died out. Like stone, right. like stone tool making had been passed continuously. And right. like to realize how rare that is, like to be with people who that those traditional skills were. And 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 he did, you know, a lot of cultural training with us, too. You know, like um, we did stories or oral tradition every night, you know, we'd, around a fire in the dark and just sitting there and hearing these these stories, some of them which were probably thousands of years old. And then, you know, kind of related to the, the theme that I wanted to get to today is, you know, one of my favorite parts of that camp every year was Jonah and Wadi taking us into the woods and doing games with us, you know, taking us on these adventures and actually putting us into this sort of competitive game that we would play on Fridays or Saturdays, whatever the last day was, where we had to try to like sneak around on each other and and how we just dropped so deeply into being fully present, right? Like right. It, was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. There's something about doing like awareness games. Uh, I think for me, it was like when we did this campfire stalk game at the tracker school, we had like 60 people in the woods like, and two campfires. What a trip that was just, I mean, you could hear like, it sounded like Rice Krispies all around you in the woods because it was just crackling and popping and people were trying to be quiet. And it was just super exciting just to be 
out there trying that. And for a lot of people, they never have that experience. So it's like, where can you go to get that experience? It's, it's, it's not, you can't really get it unless you're going to start trying to stalk other people. And that's pretty dangerous these days. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that was really formative, like you said, and it really kind of set me on my path. I mean, I didn't even realize it until years later where, you know, I ended up, you know, finishing up, you know, going to college, finish up in a degree, coming out here to the Pacific Northwest and falling in love with this place. And then I ended up, you know, being lucky enough to uh, work uh, on and off at Wilderness Awareness School, you know, one of the, the larger schools out here for about, you know, 20 years in a variety of capacities, you know, youth instructor, adult instructor, different administrative roles, you know, like, and, you know, the kind of irony of the field is like when you're, you know, younger and early in the roles, you're out in the field a lot. I mean, it's very lively and alive. And then as you get more into the field, you get more on the computer, more emails, more phone calls, more meetings, more, you know, kind of dealing customer service stuff. And it's just like, wow, this is really different. And yeah, yeah. so um, eventually I, you know, ended up out on my own again. And um, I was really lucky that a friend of mine, really an acquaintance that I had made through uh, through the school was a guy named Ted Alvarez. And Ted is a was is an author and he he had a column for years with the Backpacker magazine that was basically called like survival skills for the rest of us. And he was writing it from the perspective of like not being an expert and like going out and trying to do these things. And he came by a few times to Wilderness Swimming School and I was able to be the person to go out with him and do some foraging, you know, like he wanted to know about foraging because he was going to go out. So I show him like different wild plants and edibles and and then he eventually put that together into his book. I think it's called the uh, Survival Hackers Handbook or something like that. And, you know, then later he was working with an organization in Seattle called Grist, which had a, like a web show. And we did like a foraging thing in Seattle City Parks. And then we went and like did a, we went into a kitchen and we did a video like making like some actual things from the wild foods we gathered. So we made nettle pesto. We made something right. with hazelnuts. We made a blackberry syrup. So that was pretty fun. And, you know, several years ago now, about I think six, seven years ago now, Ted was actually interviewing me for a podcast, kind of like we're doing. And it was after our podcast was over, you know, we were just chatting, me and him and his brother, you know, and talking about this sort of conundrum facing us in the 21st century. And I was saying, kind of laying out like what I thought was this this thing. And, and I think, you know, you would probably relate to this. I think your reader, your listeners are going to relate to this. That basically we kind of have like a hunter-gatherer brain and hunter-gatherer, right. you know, we even call it hunter-gatherer operating system, if you want to use that term. And we have this 21st century interface we're always bouncing up against. And we have these things in our brains like that we long to make fire. We long to be around other humans. We long to eat wild food. We long to be out wandering around each day in a wild landscape like these are things kind of hardwired into our brain this is the theory at least right yeah which i i believe this theory and then we're not getting that every day and so then it kind of drives us a little bit crazy and then like so what instead happens is we have this kind of restlessness this kind of emptiness and so then it just seems like people are constantly consuming trying to fill that emptiness and if you give them things like fire and outdoor time and wild foods and times with other people in nature. I mean, you, you, you know, all about this. Right. I, I carving carving is a great, I, I, you know, I know that you do a lot with carving, like just getting people with their hands, using their hands. Suddenly that agitation starts to settle down and people feel happier. They feel healthier. They feel more connected. Right. And I was like, man, Ted, somebody should write a book about that. You know, like we need to get a book out like that. And it was so cool. He did not hesitate a moment. And he said, Nate, you should write that book. He's like, you need to write that book. And I was like, dude, there's no way. Like, come on. Like, how am I ever going to write that book? He's like, no, I'm going to introduce you to my editor. So like within a couple of weeks, Ted had me talking to his editor over at Falcon Books. And I was invited to submit a book proposal that they very nicely coached me on. They were very right. helpful for a first-time author. And I got um, my first book proposal was accepted. And that turned into my first book, um, which was called Primal, 
why we long to be wild and free. And it's really a look at the survival skills movement in the 21st century. I, I, we have a lot of stories in there, you know, like, you know, stories from the ancient five ways Institute, stories from wilderness Warren school, stories from other, you know, survival skills experts. But it's really about like, why is it that here we are, you and I, Ricardo, we're, we're talking through our computers. Yeah. We have this technology that makes it so easy for us to do so many things. And yet, People are paying thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to go to immersion programs to learn these ancient skills. Some of the most popular television shows in the world are survival related TV shows. So, yeah, we live in a world where, you know, we watch survival TV shows as some of the most popular TV shows in the world these days. There's, you know, half a dozen on at any given time. Right. And yet, you know, most of us are, you know, not doing that on a daily basis. But there's this longing, right? So that yeah. that was my 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 first book and yeah it was a really wonderful experience I I got to interview a lot of fun people to tell their stories and you know share a little bit about my own but really kind of sink my teeth into sort of like why are we doing this you know and so that book you know kind of spun me into like a new way of doing things I I was wandering a little bit and teaching you know in different schools and and reaching different audiences and then you know, COVID hit, you know, and, and, and that really changed the world for all of us. I had actually gotten an opportunity to write a second book with Falcon. I was in under contract for a second book. And this one was about fire. They had, they had asked me about a field guide. Did I want to write a, a field guide? And so I, I was like, well, it'd be pretty cool to do a guide to fire. I hadn't seen any guides to fire. Yeah. So I put it together a proposal about that. And I we called the book Awakening Fire. And um, that book was all about, you know, humans and our history with fire, different styles and techniques of making fire kind of under all conditions, and then a, a guide to all the useful species in uh, North America. And I was able to put that together. Yeah, that was pretty cool. fun. That was a good, good project, a good start as well. Yeah. So, so let me ask you a question about this, because one of the things that I really admire about some instructors is that they will learn all these skills and then they will say, Hey, I'm going to write a book or I'm going to try something or, you know, they're, they're t willing to kind of put themselves out there and kind of take their accumulative knowledge and go. And then others, you know, maybe they're just not that into writing or whatever, but they'll go in another direction and maybe go on one of the survival shows, you know, or, or do both, you know, in some cases. And I'm just wondering, what was that like for you writing uh, both of those books? Like, did it did it take a long time? Did you feel like you really struggled doing that? Yeah. So this is this is a great question, and thank you for asking it, Ricardo. And I think that you know it kind of cuts to the heart of the matter of like you know we we all have our natural tendencies, our natural skills, our natural aptitudes, and. I will honestly got to look back to John White and uh, John Five Bears White and that oral tradition that I was exposed to pretty early on. And then spending time for many years on and off with John Young as well as being around some really good storytellers. I think set me up in a pretty good way to be able to write those books pretty easily. And I think if I could, you know, put myself out there and if I could really make a living writing full time, I would probably do it or, or you know, most of the time. Now, I think that's a lot harder than most people imagine in this world. Yeah, it's a it's you know, I kind of entered the world of publishing just as publishing was kind of falling apart, you know, like people are reading, you know, there's more books out there than ever and they're reading people are reading less. And so it's pretty tough. But um. You know, and I what I said to say to people about writing both those books is whenever I would get blocked, I would just go outside. I would go down to the river. I would go tracking. I would go to my sit spot. I would make some stone tools. And all of a sudden I would have this flood of new things to write about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I think for me, whenever I'm writing, I have like pretty bad ADHD. So until I, I, and I didn't know about it until like last year. Yeah. So basically I would struggle to do certain things and I didn't really know. I just was like, oh man, why am I, why is it so hard? When you get support for ADHD, a lot of things change in a, in a really big way. But I mean, you know, I would go back and forth, go, who am I talking to? Am I talking to my friends who are instructors? Am I talking to like somebody new who doesn't know anything? Or am I talking to somebody who's like been a backpacker for a while? I would just yeah. kind of flip back and forth, back and forth, trying to, I'm trying to cover everything. 
yeah. it kind of drive me crazy. So I'm glad that you were able to power through and, you know, get that done. Yeah. And I, I mean, and I'll be honest, I think, you know, a lot of that was really good coaching from my editor, my first editor, Katie Benoit at, at Falcon. She was really good at like, she's like, Nate, we want this to be conversational. We want it to be chatty, like, but, you know, tell stories, you know, but like have your points and, you know, and that's another tough thing in in the world of publishing and, and, and aspiring authors, like I'll just put out there, like you can go the world, the route of publishing and you can go the route of self-publishing and they're both Mm -hmm. equally valid in this day and age, like in this, that's right. This moment in the 21st century, it is easier than ever to publish something of your own on Amazon for better or worse. And, you know, you, but I do recommend you have somebody who's a professional look at whatever you're going to put out there. Yes. Whether it's you work through a publisher or you work on your own, because there's things you can't see about your own writing, you know, whether it's we're writing about ancestral living skills or we're, we're writing a cookbook or we're writing a fantasy novel, whatever it is, there's stuff you need to have other people see. But I, I really, I think I benefited from re- really good coaching, really good insight. Yeah, and that, and that second book, The Awakening Fire, it was very interesting to kind of go into the world of field guides, right? And like write something different. It was really enjoyable. I got, you know, people from all over the country, you know, former students, former friend, you know, friends, uh, former colleagues, you know, sharing information from di- their bio regions. And, and mm-hmm. you know, those those books, you know, they did okay, but I think they also really suffered from COVID. You know, like I remember I got to do like two live events for Primal. You know, the big one was at the REI flagship store here in Seattle, which was so fun. And then like everything just kind of fell apart after that. And, um, right. you know, it's odd because, you know, like a lot of uh, people, I, I even wrote this in the last chapter of Primals, you know, to survive in the 21st century, you know, you need to have an online presence. <laughs> You yes. know, you yeah. need to have the survival skills of knowing how to work with Facebook, Instagram, like, you know, all that stuff. It's just, it's so weird, you know, like right. but, you know, all the survival schools, all the instructors I know, they have some sort of online presence, you know? Yes. Yeah. And there's really a trick to, you know, making videos on TikTok or whatever. There's really a trick to doing it, like a formula that will lead to get you to uh, you know high numbers and and if you're not if you don't play the game then you're kind of like stuck in purgatory you know unless you have money to kind of promote it and get viewers that way yeah it's a trick it's a tricky thing and not everybody does it or wants to do it which is fine but it is true like depending on what your level of success is yeah you know if you're independent if you're a, a forest entrepreneur as we might say forest educator entrepreneur yeah, a lot of it does depend on can you where can you meet the next new client because they're only going to, you know, if you have a forest school, they're going to age out, you know, in three years, those yeah. children will be going into first grade and that'll be it. And so you got to have another batch coming up the yeah. ranks constantly, yeah. Yeah. which which is just, it's tiring. And, and it's also, you know, you have to kind of really manage and connect with people and stay in their presence and all yeah. those good things. So I think the the key element that I I know writing a book does for, um, you know, a career for somebody who's a nature person is that it does give you a certain amount of credibility and ability to say, go to a college or go somewhere, you know, once COVID's over, you know, to be able to still go and present what you're doing and have it be seen in a way that's a little bit different than. Yeah. You know, you being a guy that's like, hey, I sleep in the back of my truck and I do flin napping at the Walmart <laughs> parking lot or something. And they're right. just like, okay. totally, totally. Yeah, it's it's the it's the best business card you can create in the world, you know. And yeah, and it really did give me a platform. I mean, like, so like, I, you know, I, I do not excel at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, any of that stuff. I'm kind of not very good at that. And I don't I kind of struggle. I don't want to play the game and, you know, all that, like everything yes, you just yeah. said. But, you know, my book has given me, you know, a modest following. And then when COVID did hit, you know, I was able to start teaching some online. And that was another thing. Like I had had students, former students, friends, you know, colleagues who were like, no, Nate, you got to teach online. You're, you know, like you're a good instructor. You got to. And I was like, dude, what I do does not translate to online. Trust me. Like it just does not. And then like then COVID hit and I was like, all right, let's teach online, you know, and (laughs) and it was maybe it does. You know, yeah, again, how did it go? And, how did it go? This is, the, this is the thing, Ricardo. I could not believe how fun I had, how fun my students had, and 
the results we were getting doing online teaching. And th th there were some really interesting things. Like I, what I did was uh, I often teach like multi-week courses online that are yeah. about a two hour session. And, you know, I was really used to, you're probably used to you like the weekend workshop format where people come in and you just like give them just this stunning experience. Right. And they leave like, that was so amazing. But then they're like, the rest of their lives hits them on Monday morning. Or maybe you get them for a week, you know, and the same yeah. thing hits them. <laughs> and they don't know how to integrate. And I was really surprised when you give them 10 weeks of something or eight weeks of something, and you do two hours at a time, people were pretty able to integrate it. So again, like I don't have a huge following but I do have people from around the world that have taken classes with me now and read the books. And, you know, that that's why I'm kind of excited you know, about the, the stuff that is coming down the pipeline. And, and yeah, I'm trying out new things like, you know, like Kickstarter is the next thing I'm going to be playing around with. And yeah, and there's always like you were saying, like, you know, what's the new angle? What's the new perspective or what's my unique approach? You know, I think we all have to find that, you know, as people who do this for work as people who do this as a passion, as students of this, this kind of work. And I do think this is some of the most important things we can be doing in the world right now. You know, like yeah. all of the things that people are talking about are the big challenges we face, you know, stress, you know, gun violence, you know, uh, teen anxiety, you know, suicide rates, like all of these things. Seemingly right. this work of getting people in nature is a really powerful way to benefit them right and myself included you know like i know i'm a better person when i do these things and i'm a better dad i'm a better partner i'm a better whatever you know sure sure absolutely so have you ever thought of taking um have you ever been on one of the survival shows or have you ever thought about going out for that you're 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 young enough to still do that i yeah, I, used, I don't I still know get, i mean like, people asking me all the time they're like oh hey you know we're looking for somebody to do this type of show. And I'm just like, yeah, pass. You know, some of my students have, so grads of programs I've taught at have definitely been on some of those shows. And, you know, I've had colleagues on some of those shows, you know, um, I, I've yes. taught, you know, I interviewed some of those people for some of my books. So I hats off to them. If the right opportunity came around, I might do it. And it's interesting with this kind of direction I'm going in with the, this next project, it might be, if there was a show that I could talk about that, it'd be interesting because, but I haven't found the right match. And I, and I'm a dad and I have a, you know, I have a yeah. five-year-old who's going into kindergarten. who's going to be six. I have a, you know, my daughters live in Hawaii and, you know, it's like, you know, I have engagement on a day-to-day -day basis where I can't just suddenly take three weeks to disappear or 12 weeks. And, but yeah, it's, if the right opportunity matched for me and my family, I would go with it. And, th and that kind of brings me to, you know, the, this coming back to this idea of this archetype of the scout, you know, like talking about that a little bit. I had this sort of realization this summer, you know, going out and playing around with my five-year-old in the woods, having my 17-year-old uh, oldest kid come back and be an assistant instructor at a scout ranger overnight at Wilderness Awareness School. And then going on my first camping trip with my nine-year-old daughter, Tara. Um just how much there's these there's sort of like what's in front of us in the survival skills world that's like what we see this sort of tangible and then there's sort of like this whole other invisible side right and um i have this great photo i think it's on my website right now and it's me and my son orion and i've got my green hoodie on and I'm, i look like this right i've got my hoodie up like this right and i'm uh -huh. hiding behind a rock and he's crouched down and he has the biggest smile on his face and he's so bright and so alive. And we had just spent like maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes um, just sneaking around, hiding on his mom. And he was so alive, you know. And um, my eldest kid, Katie, you know, kind of grew up with this stuff, has been in Hawaii now for several years, you know, uh, dealing with a lot of the challenges of just being a teenager, being a teenager in the post-COVID world, all that stuff. Sure. And... They came back from being an assistant instructor at the scout overnight. I guess it's called the ranger overnight now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were the happiest, most alive, most vibrant I had ever seen them. 
in like five years, you know, and they're like, sure. oh my gosh, I want to do this the rest of my life, dad. I want to, you know, come back and volunteer next year. I want to be a lead instructor. I want to eventually be the lead instructor at this camp, you know, just the most uh, happy, vibrant and alive. And I was realizing this whole thing about when we t- think about survival, we think about very tangible things like f- making fire, building a shelter, like gathering wild plants, eating berries, making cordage. And I love all of that stuff. I love it. You know, it, it brings me alive. It brings everybody alive. But this whole other side of being quiet, moving silently, moving like a wild animal, listening to the birds, using the birds and the bird language to figure out what other people are doing, you know, sneaking quietly enough that you see a wild animal, even if it's just a chipmunk or a squirrel, this whole like quieter side of survival skills. Yeah. You know, what, yeah, totally. what a lot of people know is the scout skills. Um, you know, some people might call it like forest ninja skills. Like we talk about that, <clears throat> the ranger skills, like, you know, that is something that is not being talked about in survival TV shows. It's not being written about. And every person I know in this field who works with teens or adults, whatever age that's used that as the sort of magic button to get people engaged, will come back to how powerful that is. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, just to clarify for anybody that like is listening to this, who doesn't know, like when we say scout, we're not talking about boy scouts per se, but more like in a, in a tribal setting that there was, there were some people in that community whose expertise and passion were to go out and look for Buffalo, look for enemies to that are maybe coming in, trying to mess oh. with your, your, your group, uh, observe things, maybe gather wild medicinal plants or edible plants. Uh, yeah. you know, just, just kind of like being comfortable being really away from everybody and, and having to be quiet because when you're out there, it's like no man's land and yeah. you could be killed. You know, if you were in someone else's territory and they saw you, they, you know, you could die. Not to mention grizzly bears, wolves, mountain lions, badgers, yeah. wolverines, whatever else that might be out there. Uh, you know, maybe crazy, you know, uh, European settlers or something. So, like, the dangers were all yeah. really real. And at the same time, they had to be the best at their skills. And that is kind of like what we're talking about are these um learning how to be invisible learning how to be perfectly camouflaged having this incredible awareness also being able to like make fire do all the survival skills as well yeah because you're really traveling around out there without a net and you have to know how to navigate you have to know how to get back to your tribe yeah and and uh and so those are all things that to a a lot of teenagers once they've like mastered some of those earlier skills you know and like in or the basic skills in their, in their beginning program or camps that just really lights them up and gets them Like, like you said, gets that big smile on their face and yeah. they're, they're really pumped up to kind of take the next step and, and, and live that a little bit. And it's totally, amazing. Totally. So, yeah. yeah. And I would, I would say too, that, um, you know, coming back to the ancient lifeways Institute, you know, thinking back to what John uh, White was saying, you know, this is something that everybody's ancestors did, right? Like, right, right. like I, you know, I, I often talk to people about like, you know, learning to make fire, like you would not be here if your ancestors didn't know how to make fire, right? Like this is in your, your, your body and being, your genetics, your bloodline, whatever you want to call it. Right. But I would also argue, or I would just say that these skills of being silent, of evasion, yeah. being able to disappear it's the same thing. And, and, you know, time and time again, these are things that have kept humanity alive. And, you know, it doesn't matter if your ancestors are from Africa or Europe or Asia or South Asia, India, Australia, like, you know, and I, I may have more or less familiarity with those things in different places, but, you know, I've found a lot of uh, wonder in discovering, you know, my own ancestral connection to those things, like, you know, stories of ancient Irish, you know, Fianna, these this band of warriors who traveled the landscape and like watched for Viking raiders on the coast and had to live off the land and move like animals. It's like, oh yeah, my ancestors had 
these scouts, these rangers, these whatever we want to call them. And, it, and it's difficult. Terminology is a little bit difficult, but I think we know. That's why archetype is a good way. It's like, oh, when we talk yes. about archetypes, like when you say wizard, the wizard archetype, when you say the maiden mother and crone, it's like people know what you're talking about. And there's this other archetype of this sort of shadowy scout figure. And um, it's a very powerful tool for connecting people outside in nature and bringing them alive. And, and, you know, it's, you can get a lot of training in it and not realize you're being trained in it too. Like it's kind of, it is very invisible. You know, I, I, when I was at the ancient lifeways Institute, um, Joan and Wadi were the sons were masters of this. Like they just knew the land so well. They knew it like the back of their hand, like they could just disappear into these trails or, go into the stream bed and like you they would just be crawling along the stream bed this dry stream bed and then you couldn't see them from you know up above and they would just sneak right by you and it's like oh like they embodied it you know they just embodied this this way of being yeah you're 100 percent right on that and i know it seems like it's actually something that occurs naturally as you learn to live in the wilderness be in the woods that I, i mean i've seen kids that where we would just learn a little bit about how to move on the landscape, you know, using wide angle vision and fox walking, so to speak, or, you know, walking really, really consciously. And, you know, if they hear something coming, they're like, oh, their first instinct is to kind of hide just like the animals. The the animals are kind of hiding and going silent and they'll just slip behind a log, not because they are necessarily trying to hide from whatever's coming, but to kind of just go, Hey, I don't really know what's happening. Let me just check this out. It's like a natural instinct that we have. And I mean, I used to focus a lot on like, Oh, I'm going to teach stalking. And then uh, I don't know, about 20 years ago, I went, we don't need to teach stalking. Everybody kind of will figure it out. There's only so many ways to step on the ground. They're going to figure it out. And if I say, be quiet, that's going to be easier to say than to go, put your toe like this and then move your foot and all that. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, no, we all, you, our bodies know what to do. Yeah. And and if there's that need, right. If there's that need there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You get, you get motivated and yeah, that to me, there's an element of um, entering into a different mindset as well, because you're, um, really good then trying to be able to, you can choose to let people see you or not. You can, you mm-hmm. can get really comfortable being in nature in a way where no one else, um, you know, maybe the people walking by you who are backpacking, they're not, they're not connected yeah. to the, to the land in the same way. So they just are not paying attention. They're kind of just moving through yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 I have a couple of little stories a little anecdotes I want to share. One was um, about you talking about kids with this. Yeah. I remember being in St. Edward State Park, which is about 20 miles for, from where I am uh, out on a, it's on a beautiful lake on the north end of uh, Lake Washington. And it's like nice, you know, typical Northwest forest with Douglas firs and ferns all down below. And I was there uh, working at a summer camp and um, I was there with my friend, Peter uh, Yinkin was visiting. And um, Peter's this very tall Australian man of Scottish descent, very shockingly orange, you know, hair, bow maker, back, backpack maker, like a shoemaker, just really, you know, the one of those hands on people like a maker, you know, like, a, yes. you know, I'm I'm not one of those people. I, I like <laughs> break rocks and stuff, you know, like I can't make like really nice clothes out of stuff or whatever. And we were just out with this group and, and he, they were like eight to nine year old kids. And he just could not fathom. Like, it's like, how are you getting them to be so quiet? You know? And it was one of those mornings where the other instructors and I had all gotten together and agreed. We were going to tell all of our groups that we were sneaking on each other for the day, you know, and that we needed to like, and then, uh, so we told everybody that other groups were out there sneaking. And then we said like, the birds will tell us what's going on. And that's it. That was the instructions. And then they were like the the biggest, quietest, you know, ninja <laughs> of the forest, like naturally. Right. And he was just, you know, and this is, you know, Peter had spent time at the, at the tracker school as an instructor and he'd been practicing these skills for a long time. And he was just like, had such a blast. I had a blast just being out there, being quiet with these little kids who are normally quite vitally alive and, you know, but vitally alive in a different way now being silent. 
rather than you know making lots of noise and they were just oh did you hear that that jay is that another group everybody get down you know and then we would like all crouch down we'd wait (laughs) and just staying in this state of being and it lasted like at least until lunchtime and then i think we played some in the afternoon but then like they were back into it because we had to go back to our central area and i'm like the other groups are coming in and so we're all moving in back to our base camp and these groups are and it just it's magic you know it really is yeah so that's the first story and then um (laughs) and then yeah just to, to also bring this to the adult world um you know and people can get real serious about the scout skills as adults, you know, it's like, and it can kind of take on this militaristic edge. And I I prefer it to have a little bit more playful energy, but I get where that people are coming from with that. But, um, you know, my wife and I, uh, both do a lot of natural movement and, and she's, uh, she's been trained by Mick Dodge and doing a lot of, um, really cool wild exercises outside. And and they use a lot of, um, like sticks and stones for training the system called earth gym. And I've, I've done a little bit of that training as well. And sometimes we've taught some natural movements together where movement classes where I'll like, I'll teach like moving like animals and, you know, being fluid and mobility. And she'll teach like, you know, using sticks and stones. And, but she for years used to have a class in uh, the city, Seattle, in the Green Lake. So like a, a lake just in the middle of the city, you know, like a urban setting. And people would come after work and they would, you know, do their sort of wild natural outdoor fitness with Karen. And they would like, you know, do pushups against trees and lift rocks and like, you know, you know, swing on ropes or whatever. And she said one of the favorite things everybody did was that, you know, every once in a while they would climb up in trees and they would just be completely quiet and silent. And they'd be about 10 to 12 feet up. And it was stunning to them how often people would walk right by them. Like right. they're just like and that and how this feeling they got when they knew they were invisible and the people didn't notice them. And then they could just see people going about their, their lives and (laughs) this sort of mental, emotional satisfaction. And to me, that's the archetype of the scout, right? Like coming alive in 21st century, you know, office workers lives. And, and I think it's so beautiful that, you know, Karen got them to that place by having them lift rocks and like take sticks and swing them around and, you know, climb on trees. And then they get into that, that chilled out, you know, almost Zen place of just being one with the tree, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You kind of, it helps to, it helps to kind of merge several things. I always found with like uh wilderness and any of my stuff, I would always merge like, Hey, we're going to build this fire because we're going to make quesadillas, you know, later. So, and if we're going to have quesadillas, then we need to have a willow tray. So we need to weave willow tray. So let's go collect the willow and then we'll get that. And then we're going to get all the stuff we need for the fire. And so the idea is that at any age you can translate that. And then of course the goal then is in their mind, the goal is I'm going to have this like cheesy chicken quesadilla that I cooked over the fire. Right, right. But you're kind of like going, I'm introducing you to basket weaving. I'm introducing you to fire building. I'm introducing yeah. you to paying attention and getting, you know, paying attention to all the details and everything. And with the scout stuff, it seems like oftentimes when I would play these games like campfire stock, where you'd have to stock up to a fire, the the students would like tell me how they were like laying under a log and that the firelight was coming in underneath and they could see like a mouse looking at them, like from three feet away, a foot away from their face or six inches. And you know, that they could feel how cold the ground was against their skin. And, and I was like, you know, that's what I'm trying to do is to get the earth, you to be connected to the your body, to the earth. Yes. I really don't care whether you, you know, get into the fire circle or not, or whether you win or whatever. Uh, what I want you to do is to be able to listen, see, and actually actively use those skills and awaken that in your body. Because when you wake that body up that way, that's like a complete memory that you're going to have for the rest of your life. Yeah. So, so they yeah, and, they, and they think often, it's about the game, right? But it's not the right, game. Right. The game, right. The game is what creates the context for the experience to happen and 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 yeah like usually when you're talking to people after that and you ask them about that and be like well what were you thinking about and they're like i wasn't thinking about anything that's right i was just fully present and in my senses maybe for the first time in my life you know and that's just a a stunning thing and what a gift in this world of like 
complete total distraction with our phones. And I'm, I'm as bad as anybody, man. Like I know what my phone does to my brain. I know, you know, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, in the final days of my final version of primal, right. Like writing like the final edits on it, I ran into a guy in Seattle and he was just, t- we were just talking and he was like, asked me what I was working on. I told him, he's like, it's like, Oh, I used to work in the advertising industry. He's like, everything you're talking about, we know about. And we, we yeah. and he's like, I quit the advertising industry because it was just like, he thought it was evil, you know, not that the advertising is evil, but that's just what he was thinking, you know? And he was just like, but people are actively using those buttons to yeah. get into our brains and, sure. you know, and our phones do that. And, you know, what's the remedy for that? What's, what's the, what's the opposite experience we can give to people for that. Like you were talking about wide angle vision earlier, right? Like if I'm spending my day, like looking at either yeah. this screen or on my phone, if I can just put that down and go outside and I go into wide angle vision, it's the opposite, right? Or yes. if I'm like sitting in my chair, typing on my computer, which whether I'm teaching or I'm writing or whatever, I have to do some going outside, moving around, climbing a tree, getting off trail a little bit, you know, getting down on all fours, you know, like that's a completely different experience. And, right. you know, right. It gives you a little biological reset sometimes, or, you know, just gives you that respite from that, you know, hyper vigilant focused, you know, kind of intellectually based lives, you know, you're living this life that's all in your head, you know, so you're like, worried yeah. about our pol- politics, and you're worried about the economy, and you're worried about global warming, you're worrying about all these things that are either in the future or way bigger than we know than we can really deal with. And yeah, when you get out there and you're just like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm doing whatever I'm playing with my kids down in the, by the river, or I'm doing, you know, you're just going to be present. And that, that's a really, really good way to reconnect and, and just feel good about yourself and, and what's going on around you. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really yeah. important. Well, and 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 I would say, you know, especially with teens, those of you who are out there are working with teens. Yes. And you know, you might you might even had some teens that have some anxiety about not being on their phone or not checking their phone or not having their phone, right? Like I think we've mm-hmm. all seen this, you know. Um, my kids included, you know, my my teen Katie, you know, like, you know, working helping them while I'm working on my own phone addiction, like to, you know, like not be on the screen all the time. <laughs> you know, and how yeah. they were you know, having some trepidation about going to scout camp and not being on their phone for a while. And like, by the end of it, they were so excited. And and so like, there is these things available to us and, you know, getting into that, you know, and, and you can't just start there. Like you got to ease people in and stuff, but realizing that biology is on our side with a lot of these things, Yes. you know, whether it's fire, whether it's wild foods or it's these scout skills, you know, that, mm-hmm. that that biology is on our side, right? And our we're designed to do this stuff. And when we start to, you know, activate those things, you know, it really works for people. That's right. You know, what's great too is that, you know, for everyone that like will go out there and like have that moment where they didn't think and they just kind of slipped into the zone. Then there's a, the person that's the opposite who doesn't slip into the zone. And then they'll be like, man, every time they get me every time. What? what am I doing wrong? And then I'll go, you know, like that same thing you said, Hey, what were you thinking about? And they would then go, Oh, I was worried about all these things. And you go, okay. So now you can, now they're actually in a place where you can say, Hey, let me, sh- let, let's do some like breathing exercise. Let's do some uh, meditation, yeah. but then there's a reason for it. Right. Cause it's merged with an actual need. It's not just meditation that yeah. is like, Oh, try to be thoughtless or, you know, whatever, let go. But, you know, all of these things are really, really helpful for people to experience. And if you, and if you have those, you've actually got a really good tool to help people, um, you know, reset their life. I mean, there's a little bit of an ego-based thing that sometimes happens. And that's the, that's the one thing that I always would say to my instructors when we would do our scout camps, as I would just say, Hey, you know, no ego. You got to really, this is, this has got to be a hundred percent, you know, it's not about the gotcha, but it's really about the skill. So it's like not yeah. it's And, and it just because I'm sitting on a tree branch, you know, you know, 12 feet up and you walk by me doesn't make me better than you. And, exactly. yeah. you know, and, and 
you better be really good if you're going to hide on the average person because you may get shot and you will not have an excuse if you're like in a tree covered in mud and yeah. and somebody shoots you like they're not going to go to jail because <laughs> because of that so you really want to think you think it through and all that so yeah but, yeah there's yeah. for sure some really powerful stuff that's tapped in and and when you're saying about that student that was in their head or was it wasn't working for them i mean that was right. me you know that was yeah. me as a teenager jonah and wadi like you know they like ran circles around me over and over and over and over again i, I failed over and over and over again i yeah. was not like naturally gifted at this stuff i was naturally loud and brash and annoying you know like like a, t a lot of teenage men, you know, like young men, you know, and I was just like, I'd stumble through the forest and I'd be like in my head, like, Oh, I got to find them, you know, and like totally lose over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. And it was finally like the time I got success was I was like, I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to yeah. wait. And when I did that, then I was finally able to catch somebody. It wasn't Jonah or Wadi, of course, but it was somebody else. And, and yeah, I, that's really important. The, the whole ego thing. I mean, I've been on all sides of that. I've been the person, I mean, even it recently, probably, you know, like I've been the person in the tree that the people are walking under or the per person in the bushes that like they look in and they cannot see you and you're totally invisible. And that, and I've been the person trying to find the people. And, and I think it's, you know, learning to be both sides of those things, learning yes. to, to realize what's going on. And that, again, that this is, you know, awakening, activating something in us that is deeply satisfying, you know. Um, right. And, and you know, my desire to talk about this with you today, you know, really came about from people outside of myself. You know, it was my it was that experience with Katie and then going to Ranger Camp. It was my son Orion's experience. It was, a, you know, a friend of mine going on a walk with him and him, you know, talking to me about these things and, and the role it plays in his life and, you know, what he saw in me about that. And then another buddy, like conversations about this, that it's like, oh, like, this is some good stuff. And, and so, um, yeah, I know we're going to probably have to wrap up you know, relatively soon here, but, you know, this has really inspired me and re-inspired me to take a look back at these things in my own life, you know, how I'm having them alive with, with my family, with myself, with my time in the woods. And it, it's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, provided the inspiration for sort of a, a new project I'm going to be launching to into this fall. So um, I want to share a little bit about that, but um, yeah, I just wanted to see if you had any other last questions or anything, Ricardo, because um, I'm going to have to go here pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, like, when you have this, these uh, scout, you know, like practices and everything else, um, do you have anything that uh, is a sort of a philosophical framework? You know how they, they sometimes have like the warrior in like a martial arts thing. They're like, a warrior never does blah, 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 or the warrior always does such and such. Have you found um, things that are certain principles that you think are important to accompany these activities uh, in a way that, that just kind of help stabilize us as we, as we start to do them, because you can get some pretty weird experience. I mean, I remember walking with kids in the moonlight in pitch black forest, just looking up and seeing the moon and the trees lit up and it's like really magical. But at the same time, like I remember being out there with a bunch of kids and they're like, is this real? Like they don't, they don't know if it's real. They're yeah. like, am I dreaming right now? What is happening? It's so unique to them, this experience. Yeah. And the next yeah. day they're like, did that even happen? Right. And yeah. I remember that, that I, this, yeah. Parallel experience, like uh, about, yeah, almost 20 years ago, like again, taking some kids on a, a journey per week and then it culminating in a pretty powerful scout experience around a fire. And then like the next day, everybody, myself included being in this surreal state, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely some different things to keep in mind. I mean, one of the things I, I found to remember, and I think this is going to be like a, a big core piece of my, my next, next project, the, the writing project, is this idea of like, who are you protecting or who are you doing this for? Because I've seen people get like really into this stuff and then it kind of becomes this selfish thing in this. And, and it's really that idea of remembering that you know, those, the scouts, the, the, the rangers, the, the guides, they would go out for the village. Yeah. You know, it's for the elders and the kids and everybody else 
that they're doing this for. So this isn't like this ego driven, like self, like I'm doing this to be awesome. I'm doing this for others. You know, who yeah. are you in yeah. service to? Right. That's um, right. You know, I, I think that's a big one. You know, it's like, okay, like remembering the village, right? Like, don't forget the village, right? That's right? And there's even stories about this. There's some really powerful stories about the people who just go and they become completely feral and wild. And it's not such a healthy thing in both modern and ancient stories, right? I mean, I've been there myself, right? Like, okay, sure. so, you know, we don't want to hate the world. We don't want to do these things and have it create, a, make us hate everything, you know? So another thing I would I would think about too is this idea of, and I think, you know, my friend Ben, who works out at, he's, you know, t- taught the scout protector at Tom Brown's school for many years, you know, he has, uh, he works out on the Olympic Peninsula, you know, just this idea of this role of protector, right? It's like, it's not warrior. It's not like you're going out to like, and, 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 you know, this, there's some very interesting things around this. Like my, my dad was a, a Vietnam vet and he was an army ranger. And at one point we had a conversation about these things in a very different way. And about the realization, like he, you know, his specialty was reconnaissance and, you know, surveillance. So he would literally sneak behind enemy lines and go see what was going on and then right. sneak back. And so the same skills that I'm using in a very different context, you know, he used literally to stay alive. And so, but really, you know, we're not doing this to become better at war, you know, I mean, or at least right. that's certainly not what I'm doing. This is, you know, there, there's a protector element, this idea of protecting people, making them feel safe, you know, in the Valley I live in, the Snoqualmie Valley, there's hills here that we know that there used to be people who would stay on those hills to watch the valley in case there was an enemy that was coming. And so there's a protector element, but that's different than I'm going to war. So the the last to pick up the lands, right? Like that's a, that's, I think that's That's a tracker school saying, right? Like, yes, it's not, that's true. That's really true. And it, and it's always been um, interesting to me when, uh, when I, cause I studied with Tom as well and went to his school and, you know, took, pretty much a lot of those same classes and, and, and how those, you know, getting those values was really important. You know, like you have to be the best, you know, do the best job you can all the time because your survival depends on that. Like that, that translates easily instantly to the rest of your life, you know, just whether you're in school, whether you're at a job, whether you're taking care of your kids, whatever it is, your relationship, like if you treat them that way, your life is going to be a little bit better, a little bit easier. It's so complex. And yet at the, I mean, this is like a huge resource that is incredibly powerful, but many people either don't know about it, or if they do hear about it, they make a bunch of assumptions about it. And therefore the survival is the same thing. Wilderness survival. People go, well, why would I want to sleep in a bunch of sticks? And I'm like, Hey, I'm with you. I don't want to sleep in sticks either. Really. I know what it's like to do it, but yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I totally get that. But, but the, the fact is, is that like survival and scout and awareness and tracking all those things are just like incredibly rich resources um, that are, that are not being utilized by the majority of people, except in places where people are living close to the earth. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the last uh, principle, I'll just try to also work in. And I, I didn't come up with this one. This is, you know, I think this is an Ingway thing from back in the day, you know, that I, I've heard from, you know, passed down is this, this idea of living in two worlds, right? Like part of the scout yes. thing is you don't just have the camouflage of blending in when you're like out in the woods, you can blend in when you walk in society and you, you're invisible there and you're not creating lots of ripples and disturbance and, like, you know, the idea of like, I mean, Ingwe would tell these stories about being out in the bush all day, tracking animals, being around wild things, you know, making fire. And then literally at the end of the day, taking about 10 minutes, cleaning up, putting on a button down shirt and being able to walk into a party, you know. And yes, yeah, I just think that that's something we have to um, embrace. I, I'm still working on that one. You know? <laughs> like, right. I mean, I think we all are, you know, like, and, you know, I feel that pull to go run and be wild and free. And but, you know being able to cultivate those skills to 
you know, um, yeah, walk in the modern world as well, you know, in a good way. That's right. And I guess that's what we're doing with this podcast, right? Like, and, you know, yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, people are listening to this as they're driving to their job and doing something important, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Those are all important things. And, you know, everything you're saying really makes me excited. I kind of just like feel like I could talk to you for another two hours. But I, yeah, this is this is like a, a really wonderful thing because you're you're going to be putting something that is a little bit amorphous. And by by getting a book out, if you decide to write a book or um, do yeah. online programs and stuff, I, it can really help people. Uh, I mean, we did I did a lot of my survival training with scout stuff. And I just said, hey, we're going to go down this trail. You know, the next group is coming in, you know, 60 yeah. seconds. You have to hide. Right, right. And they yeah. would say, well, why do we have to do it, Rick? Why do we have to? I go, because someday somebody might be chasing you or come yeah. following you and you need to know how to do this immediately so you can stay safe. Yeah. And they did it and they got really good. We did it. I, I always say to people, you got to practice this stuff more than one time. You can't do yes, it. Right. Oh, yeah. You got to yeah, do yeah. it over and over and over again till you yeah. get really good at it. And when you do that and and I would have reports you know, children would give, you know, when they come back as teenagers, they go, oh yeah, there was a weird guy that was chasing me in the park, following yeah. me. And then I disappeared. And the, every time I, he would see me, he'd follow me and I disappear. And it kind of freaked him out. Finally, he see me and he'd start going the other way. And, you know, and I'm just like, hey, maybe I saved that person's life or just saved them from yeah. a bad experience. But man, like, yeah. you know, people need to know how to handle themselves and take care of this. And, you yeah. know, just even be aware of the, of what's around that. So totally. Yeah. The awareness thing is, is, the, is possibly the biggest piece of it, you know? Right. Yeah. So, so the way this is working for me is, you know, pretty soon here in September, middle of September, I think I'm going to launch a Kickstarter campaign and it's going to be pretty straightforward. And the Kickstarter campaign is to raise some funds to write this book. And it's basically pre-orders for the book. So you can, you know, at a certain level, you get the electronic version. At another level, you get a paperback version. Another level, you get a hardback version. And then if people want to, I'm going to put together a few sessions of, um, you know, where you can contribute. And then there'll be like a live question and answer with me, three live question and answer sessions. And then eventually I am going to do an online class. I think it, it may be six or eight sessions of just like, yeah, an introduction to these things, right? Like we, right. it can't be more than that. But the goal right. is to write some of this down. And of course, I also just want to be really clear is those of you who've done this training, I'm not going to go out and reveal all the secrets. I'm not going to just like dump, you know, this is not an info dump of like all of the best secret scouts you get. No, this is like, hey, we're going to look at some cool stuff and and get people a solid book that can get them on this path. And if you've right. done stuff before, you're probably going to find some fun stories. You're probably going to find some cool stories, cool new things in there. You know, like some stories of like actual real ninja I like have met, like people who study ninjutsu or, you know, some in advanced, you know, things around bird language or, or scout skills. There's going to be stuff in there, but I'm not going to like go dump all the secret best stuff of all the scout camps around North America or the rest of the world. So don't <laughs> worry. I would I, I'd be in big trouble. I would be like forever, like looking over my shoulder after that. Right. Like, so yeah. I, I'm not going to do that, but I am going to write this book. I am looking for supporters for that. And yeah, there'll be a associated class. And I, I think the way this is going to work is September 1st today, sometime in the middle of the month or maybe towards the latter part of the month, I'm going to do a live event kind of like we did today, but I'll just talk about the project and take questions and answers and, and tell some stories. And yeah, the hope is like, I'll, you know, I'm going to have a very modest Kickstarter goal to, you know, raise a little bit of money to pay for some professional editing, pay for like some layout and stuff like that right. and get this out there and see how it does for people. So that sounds really great. Yeah. When you do your online class and you do the section on invisibility, are you just going to have like the camera pointed at the woods? Yes, exactly. It'll be like, <laughs> find me. Your whole and everybody will be gone, this. right? You have like 90 <laughs> minutes, figure out where I am. Exactly. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting about it is that you can actually give someone all the secrets, but those secrets only make sense if you actually are, have been building it from the ground up. So if you've been building it from the ground up, then you'll get it. Yes. And a lot of those secrets only come because you're, you're doing it. You're having to, you're having a community of people who are doing it with you, inspiring you, you're practicing on that. You're, you're, you're like sneaking up on them. They're sneaking up on you, whatever. 
And I mean, we have a thing at our camp where we would have, uh, everyone had to have a stick, you know, that they carried with them all the time. And if you lost your stick, because one of the instructors saw you weren't paying attention, they would grab your stick and then you'd have to carry the log of shame, right? For, you know, like an hour. So you'd have to, you'd have this big log with a bunch of spikes in it. You have to carry that around for a bit. And everybody would be like, hey, you got the log of shame. And you're like, yeah, I did that yesterday. Just for like a day or two. But there was this idea of you need someone to show you how to, how it's done. You need somebody who's already walked the path. You need a bunch of people around you who get your learning as they're learning. Like it's yeah. really not, it's, it isn't something that's easily translatable to, oh, if you just take an online program, you're going to then be an expert. It's, but, but it's still going to give you something. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Right. And, and really, that's what I, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I like to do with a lot of the things I do online. It gives people something. So it's usually people who uh, I either are just starting on these things or actually people who've been doing this for a while and they're looking for like a new take, a new idea, a new re-inspiration, or even yeah. just like a, a couple techniques they've never played with. And right. then that invites them to go back into these things and really go deeper. And and I love doing that and, and having that mix of people that I get to work with, you know, probably like a lot of the people, you know, listening to this and the people you get to talk to, like just people of all walks of life, all ages, you know, young people, middle-aged people, older people, people of all backgrounds, you know, genders, races, cultural backgrounds. Like it's just, you know, and that really adds. And I'm going to see about, you know, having some special guests here and there. Yeah. And Ricardo, if you, if you get any bright minds about any way you'd like to be involved with this project too, just let me know. Cause I'd, I'd love to have your input, you know, maybe uh, sure. have you um, put some two cents in there somewhere. That would be really cool. Hey, I'm always available. So you let me know. That'd be great. Awesome, man. Be fun to do. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, what's a good way for people to find you like on Instagram or webs? You have a website or anything that um, yeah, yeah. So the best place to find me is at www.primalnate.com. So that's my website. And there's a newsletter you can sign up for there. You get like different emails. And I don't try not to send too many, but I try to, you know, send enough that I people don't totally lose contact with me. <laughs> and then I am on Instagram at primalnate, you know, so that's the 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 handle, right? And I, I haven't done a lot on Instagram recently, but I'm going to get back into it a little bit more with um, this, this project. And I do have a little, I do some stuff on YouTube. I, I was doing a thing for a while where I had a free Friday where I would interview people and a little bit like this podcast you're doing, but yeah, and I may get back into that related to this fall and winter as well. But yeah, those are ways. And you can check out my books. They're they're on Amazon. They're in, uh, sometimes in bookstores. They were definitely in bookstores a few uh, years ago. I think they're kind of on the border going out of print. Yeah. But, you know, Nate Summers, Primal, Why We Long to Be Wild and Free, and uh, Nate Summers, Awakening Fire, both from Falcon Press. So. Nice. Well, congratulations on the books. I love what you're doing. This is really inspiring to me. I'm like all pumped up now. Uh, but this is great. So thanks so much for being here with us. And sharing everything. Yeah, thank you so much, Ricardo. You have a great day. I'm a big honor to be here and appreciate the work you're doing in the world. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator, nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.